Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I'm sitting in the plane yesterday, uh, ready on the runway, ready to, to take off, to come home. Uh, over the grand final, by the way, which didn't work out really well, go doggies. Um, but, uh, but I'm sitting on the uh, tarmac and we're getting ready to take off. And, you know, there is the lady, the stewardess that gives the safety briefing at the beginning of a flight. Do you know what I'm talking about? All right, and so she stands there and everybody sits in their rows and she begins to tell you where the exits are and they're looked behind you, if there's one closer to you. And I'm sort of paying attention to this. It's good to know where the exits are in case the plane crashes. And so I'm paying attention to this and I begin to look around uh, the cabin and I notice something really important, which is that I am probably the only person paying attention to what should happen in the event of a crash. And I'm thinking, these people are crazy. If we crashed, everyone, no one's going to know what to do, are they? Because everyone's too busy uh, putting their uh, phone on the airplane mode and reading a book and, and, and taking care of kids and whatever else they've got to do. But no one is paying attention. And do you know why they're not paying attention? I'll tell you why. Because they are not afraid of crashing. That's right. They don't expect it to happen. In fact, it's their expectation that in a couple of hours, we will land at Tullamarine Airport and they don't need to pay attention to what's happening. They don't care, they don't need, they're not afraid uh, of the plane actually going down. And you know, this is the thing, is that when you're afraid of something, you pay attention to it. That's why they're not paying attention because they're not afraid. Now, when you become afraid of something, it begins to shift your focus, doesn't it? Like literally, if they said, hey, welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoy your flight today. By the way, we will be crashing later. So um, please listen to everything that I'm about to tell you because this is about to become really important in about 45 minutes, right? I'm telling you right now, every single person in the cabin is like eyes glued. They're like, okay, and then what do we do? Why? Because they're afraid of crashing and suddenly they're focused shifts and their attention shifts and they want to know everything that this person has to say. That's what fear does. It begins to attract and draw your focus, okay? You know, we just came back from two weeks um, holidays. You can tell I wrote this on the way home last night, can't you? So we are uh, on holidays and uh, in you know, the Gold Coast. And by the way, absolutely beautiful. We are watching whales jump out of the ocean. Like the first time I saw one, I thought, I, I am so lucky. They were there all day, every day. It was incredible, right? And, and the weather was beautiful, right? And so just some, one thing that you probably have already detected about me, but you should know about our family is we are very white. <laughs> Extremely white. And, and so this is, this is, again, is in my genetics. It's in, in, in our DNA. So I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, and we would go anywhere to the beach, my dad would put sunscreen all over us, right? And no one likes that. And then even I thought that that was safe, but it wasn't enough for him. So what he would do is he would buy these hats for us. It's called a legionnaire's hat. Have you ever seen one of these hats? Now, 
if you like to wear those hats, then just block your ears for the next few minutes, all right? Because this is the stupidest looking hat you have ever seen. And literally, I hated wearing these hats. It's got big flaps that cover your ears and the back of your neck. Now, I know it's sun smart. What do I care? I don't want to look like an idiot. So I don't want to wear this hat, all right? I know I'm white. I get that. I know I'm going to probably burn and all the rest of it, right? But I don't want to wear the Legionnaire's hat. It looks absolutely stupid, all right? Yeah? All right, now I'm a dad. <laughs> Do you know what the coolest hats that you can buy for your kids is? A Legionnaire's hat. Yes. All right? But actually, I did not subject my kids to that. What we did do is we put sunscreen on them. And the sunscreen that we bought, and there's different kinds that you can get, but the sunscreen that we put on was like the thickest, <laughs> whitest sunscreen that I have ever seen. And I looked at the disappointment in my son's face when he went to the mirror and he said, Dad, I'm all white. <laughs> And he's like, he's already white, but now he's like really, really white. And you just, when you're a parent, you can't let, you know, you got to keep up the front. So I'm like, I don't care, mate. I know it didn't look good. I'm like, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is that you're not going to get burned because that's what I care about most. Do you know what? I'm not worried about him looking cool. I'm mostly worried about him getting sunburned. So my fear about my kids getting sunburned shifts my attention and no longer do I care about looking cool. I'm like, who wants to look cool? How about we just go home not being burnt? That's the most important thing. My point is, is that fear, it will shift your focus. And I wanna to talk to you this morning about something really important. Um, I mean, really important today for some of you. I feel like this is gonna unlock something in your life. We're gonna have an awesome morning. So let's look at the first scripture that we've got this morning. It comes out of Proverbs. Can you feel the anticipation? Here we go. That felt... I felt holy. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Why don't we pray together? God, we thank you that you are in this room today. And God, we thank you that this morning you're going to speak to us. And I pray, God, that wherever we feel that we're at with you today in terms of our relationship with you, I pray that today that you'd really speak to us and I pray that today our hearts would be really open to listen to what it is that you have to say. And God, also this morning, I just pray for families that are on holidays. It's the end of school holidays. And I pray for families everywhere that you would keep them safe. And I pray that you bring them back safely. And we have awesome church next week with everybody. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to tell you something about my wife. And uh, I discovered this. Even while we were dating, when we would walk down the street together, we would walk to the zebra crossing. Do you know, when you get there, I don't know what you do, but I realized something about Sarah. She just doesn't break stride and walks straight out. Doesn't stop, just walks straight out. And 
I remember saying to her, Sarah, come back, and I sort of, you know, trying to protect her and save her. And I said, what are you doing? This is her response to me. They know the rules. <laughs> they know the rules. She has no fear of being hit by a car. Like none. So my wisdom says, yes, honey, that's true, but they may not pay attention to those rules. So when I come to the crossing, I stop to make sure that they have seen that I am waiting to be there because if you step out, you could get hit by a car. Well, here we are all these years later and it's never happened to her, all right? But I'm not suggesting that that's a good idea. I'm still gonna stop every single time because, you ready for this? Fear saves you, yeah? Everybody say that with me. Fear saves you, fear saves you. Fear saves you. It's true, it does. It's part of what protects you, okay? You know, if I was to step out onto, off, the, off the curb onto the road, and uh, just as I go to step out, I see a car and it's coming straight for me. And I get the shock of my life. And instead of stepping onto the road, I step straight back. You know what's happened to me? My adrenaline is pumping. My heart is beating out of my chest. Why? Because I nearly got hit by a car. Now that fear, when I went to step out and step back, that fear saved my life, didn't it? But if the car was to continue to drive, and let's say it's half an hour later, and my heart is still thumping out of my chest, and my adrenaline is still pumping, and I get to the stage where I don't even want to cross the road out of fear of what could happen, well, that's anxiety. And anxiety and fear are not exactly the same thing. And it's a bad thing to have anxiety because I feel like eventually that's going to really harm you. But fear can be a very good thing. In fact, fear can protect you. It can help you. It can save you. Now, when I talk about fear and the fear of God, as what is spoken in the scripture that we read today, what I mean is to have a holy awe and reverence for who he is. It means to see him as he is and to behold him, if that makes sense to you. And if you're able to do that, and I'm telling you, a lot of people can't, to really, in fact, I don't know if anybody can, to really see him as he is. I think God is ever unfolding. We can't see everything about him. We can't know everything about him. But if we were to see him as he is, that would, is what I mean when I say that we should fear God to behold him. Now, should we be afraid of him? Well, I guess that depends. Like, I mean, really be in fear. We're afraid of him. That, that kind of depends. If God, if he doesn't exist, first of all, we are all insane. Every single one of us, we are all insane, especially those of us who say that we've spoken to him. Okay? So we are crazy if God doesn't exist. But if he does exist and you have no relationship with him, then maybe you should be a little bit afraid. In fact, let me say what Jesus said. He said, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both. I mean, if Jesus said it and he rose from the dead, I'm going to stick with him. He says that we should be maybe just a little bit afraid of God. And you, again, 
pay attention to what you fear. That's why nobody's paying attention in the safety briefing because they're not afraid. They, they don't expect to crash. So they're not paying attention. You pay attention to what you fear. And by the way, side note, you will submit to your greatest fear. You'll submit to your greatest fear. If you've got a fear of man that outweighs your fear of God, you're going to live your life in such a way that that's going to become very self-evident. If you're afraid of what people say about you and you're more concerned about the opinions of people than you are about the opinions that God has about you, you're going to live a completely different looking life. If, if the opinions of people matter to you so significantly, it's going to change the way that you dress. It's going to change the way that you spend money. It's going to change the way you do relationships, how you love your spouse. But if you have a fear of God, and in a healthy fear of God, it's going to shift everything for you. Can I tell you what one of my greatest fears was when I was probably my early 20s? One of my greatest fears was public speaking. I never wanted to do it, but actually one day I felt like God said, no, I'm going to call you to, to do this. So you know what I kept doing? I kept facing my fear because I had more concern about God's opinion of who I was, and I was more interested in following his plan for my life than I was about looking stupid in front of a group of people. Because when you get up in front of people, isn't that the concern? It's like, I might look dumb and then you all think that I'm dumb. I don't care actually. So, and now we're here. <laughs> but I care significantly about what God thinks about me and it draw my focus to the point where I was more interested in pursuing what he had, facing my fear than to give in to the fear of what people might think about me. I'll tell you why this is so important. Fear, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's at the beginning. It's not the end of wisdom, but it's at the beginning of wisdom. And many of your big decisions will flow out of this foundational truth. You know, there's a movie out at the moment, and it's called Don't Breathe. And it is like a scary, horribly scary, scary film. I don't know why people want to do this. Why would I pay to be frightened for an hour and a half? So I'm not paying for that. I don't need that kind of drama in my life, okay? There's enough going on in my world without paying for fear to enter into it. So I don't want anything to do. Anyway, people do this. And it comes up on my Facebook feed. And so there are words that come up on the bottom of the screen. And this is the words that come up. It says, there's nothing a man cannot do once he accepts the fact there is no God. That caught my attention. And I thought, you know what? I reckon that's really true. I think that when a person comes to the place where they accept that there is no God, it kind of changes what they'd be willing to do and it changes what they're not willing to do. It gives you a different mentality. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. Let me reword that for you in a better way. You're smarter when you fear God. Yeah? 
You're a smarter person when you fear God. Why? Because you will make better decisions. You will. There used to be an ad on television years ago, and it was an ad for a Mitsubishi car. And in the ad, the whole way through, and they did this with a lot of their ads, they're showing you everything about the, the product. They're showing you everything about the car. This is what it comes with. This is the warranty. This is what you get in a Mitsubishi when compared to other cars on the market at that time. And at the very end of the um, ad, there was a Japanese man that would look at you and say, please consider. Do you remember that? Please consider. That's my best Japanese. Okay. All right. Do you want to hear that again? No, you don't. So, so this is what they say, please consider. And what is he really saying? He's saying, look, you're going to buy a car anyway. Would you just consider what you would get if you purchased a Mitsubishi? And we think, and this is their marketing angle, we think that if you consider what you get in that vehicle, that that's going to shift your thinking. It's going to shift your focus. You're going to make a different decision. If you consider what you get in this car and you consider what you get in that car, we believe you'll purchase one of our cars. Please consider and I would say the same thing to you when it comes to your relationship and having a fear of God. Please consider. Consider the outcomes of your decisions because the outcomes of decisions have consequences. And I'm about to say something to you that is so unbelievably true. And if I had a microphone in my hand, I would probably drop it right now, but I don't. So I'm just going to read it anyway. If you remove consequence, you remove fear. Please consider. I mean, consider. <laughs> if you remove consequence, you remove fear. If nothing will happen to you as a consequence of your poor decisions, well, I think that people would make all kinds of of decisions. Can I give you a biblical example just so you know I'm not making it up? I'm going to read to you a scripture. It's out of Genesis chapter 3. And this scripture is about the fall. It's called the fall. If you have a Bible, you look it up. There's a little heading in there. It says the fall. It's talking about the fall of humanity. I'll read this to you. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now the serpent who was the devil, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, stop right there. If you ever find yourself in a conversation with a snake in the middle of the garden, get out of there, okay? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I feel like he was very clear on that. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband when it was with her, and he ate. Then both of their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. By the way, nakedness, when it says that in Genesis, they're often talking about shame. So they realized shame instantly came upon them as soon as they took the fruit. They knew that it was a bad idea. So what they do is they sew fig leaves together, and they made them into loincloths. Then they hear the sound of the Lord walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Very dumb. He's God. He'll find him. Uh, among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? As if he didn't know. Where are you? And he said, oh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. He made him anyway, because you were naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Adam, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, oh, no, it wasn't me. It's that woman you gave me. The woman you gave me to be with me. Oh, Talk about passing the buck. This is what he says. He said, no, the woman that you, that you gave me, <clears throat> this is your fault, God. She, <laughs> she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, oh, no, 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 no. It's that serpent creature. He, he gave it to me and he deceived me and I ate. I feel like when I read that scripture, that God was very explicit in the fact that he said, if you touch it, if you eat it, you shall die. And then the devil comes along and he says, no, you're not gonna die. You'll actually be equal with God. And what happens next, I want you to pay attention to, because this is very important. Eve takes a second look at something she previously feared well first of all she's afraid to go near it and touch it meanwhile she's hanging out by the tree but she doesn't want to touch it and she doesn't want to eat it why all oh, the consequences the consequences are if you touch it or if you eat it then you're going to die and she listens to the devil and he's and and this is what it says she saw it was good it was a delight to the eyes and something to be desired now i wonder how many christians have made that mistake saw something that they knew was wrong but there you go it was good the delight to the eyes and something to be desired. And so she takes the fruit and she eats. But why does she do that? She does it because what did the devil do? He removed the consequences. No, you'll be fine. You're going to be equal with God. It's okay. Don't worry about that. He removed the consequences. But then in the same swipe, he removed the fear of disobedience. And now they're no longer of being afraid. So they make the decision. Now, here is something that is unbelievably shocking for you this morning. You are so susceptible to this. You are unbelievably susceptible to the exact same thing that happened to Adam and Eve. In fact, this has probably already happened to you. See, what the devil will do is he will get you focused on something else other than the consequences if he can't change your mind about them. The consequences don't exist. Plan A. Plan B, no, 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 no. I want you to focus on something else. And if you've ever been tempted to sin, and if you're stuck in the middle of some sin right now, by the way, no judgment from me because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, hey, we're just here to help you, right? But if you find yourself stuck in some kind of sin, it'll probably be because of one of these two reasons. You focused on either the pleasure of sin or the justification of sin. 
But I tell you, the one thing that you didn't focus on was the pain of your sinful decision. That's how it happens. He's going to switch your focus. He knows you're going to focus on what you fear most. If you fear the outcome, no problem. Remove the outcome. Now you're not afraid, and now you'll be prepared to do whatever he suggests to you. The devil has been shifting the focus of consequences from the beginning. Let me explain to you how this works. How does a happily married Christian person have an affair? They know that it's wrong. They know that it's not okay. In fact, you don't have to be a Christian to figure that out, do you? You just know that it's wrong. So how does it happen? I'll tell you how. They were so focused on the pleasure that they didn't think enough about the consequences. And the one thing the devil will never do is he'll never remind you of the consequences of your actions or your behavior. He has a, we talk about God having a plan for your life, yeah? Can you imagine that the devil has a plan for your life too? He actually does not want you to become what God wants you to become. And he will throw everything at you to stop you, to draw your attention, to shift your focus, to make sure that you're off track so that you can ruin what God created and designed you for. Can you imagine the devil is not going to show up and right before this Christian person has an affair, he says, shows up and says, whoa, 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 time out. Before you have this affair, I want you to consider how much you're going to hurt your spouse's family. I want you to consider your father-in-law right now, how he's going to feel about you if you have an affair. I want you to think about that. The devil does not show up and go, whoa, time out, time out. Your kids right now are going to grow up knowing that their father broke covenant with God and his spouse. They're not going to, uh, they're going to hear that. They're going to see that. They're going to know that. He doesn't say, whoa, time in, time in. Do you know how much you're going to hurt your spouse when you make this decision? I mean, there are such painful consequences. No, he doesn't say anything like that. He says, do you know how good this will be to have your cake and eat it too? Do you know how good this will be? He keeps you focused on the pleasure. Well, what about the justification? How, think, think about this. How does a Bible-believing Christian ever hold a grudge? Tell me that one. Help me figure that out. Because if you understand what the Bible says, and I said Bible-believing, so if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you realize that if you don't forgive uh, somebody that's wronged you, that your Father in heaven won't forgive you. Tell me again how a Bible-believing, mature Christian manages to continue to hold a grudge. Do you know how? The focus. What's the focus? Justification. I am justified in holding this against you. I am justified in feeling this way. In fact, think about this. Every time you have ever met a person who has been offended, do they not feel right about their offense? Have you ever met somebody that said, oh, I do feel this way, but it's really not right. You know, I, I just can't justify this offense. No, they never say that. Do you know what they say every time? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they said about me? Do you know what? Fill in the blank. Because they're focused on the justification of their sin. The devil never shows up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, just, just slow down there a minute. Do you realize that God won't forgive you for the sin that I'm trying to trap you in? Uh, do you realize that he won't forgive you if you don't forgive that other person? Do you realize that? He's never going to do that. That's not his job. That's not his deal. And somewhere between pleasure and justification, you know what happens? People start to lose their fear of God. 
because we're not afraid of the consequences anymore because we're too focused on the pleasure. We're too focused on the justification. God says really clearly, the penalty of sin is death. Romans will tell you that. And then the devil says, no, no such thing. Do whatever you want. No, there's no consequences. No, you can get away with that. And if there's no consequence for your actions, if there's no consequence, then really there's no fear of God, is there? And that kind of makes sense to me. I've told this story before, but this is a good one. I was taking my kids to the park. This is a couple of years ago. And the park is not far from our house. We don't live in a really busy street. And so I said to the kids, all right, off we go. They said, Dad, can I run ahead? Because that's what kids say. I said, yes, you can run ahead. I said, but as you go to uh, run ahead, I want you to make sure that you don't walk on the road. Don't step onto the road. They said, okay, no problem. So I see my kids uh, running up the end of the street and I see one of my kids standing on the road. And right as they stand on the road, a car comes around the corner and narrowly misses them. Well, adrenaline and fear fill my heart that day. And I run over there and I say, what are you doing on the road? And my son looks at me and he says, I'm not on the road. I said, yes, you are. Look, you're on the road. He said, Dad, the road is black. I'm on the concrete. He's standing in the gutter. <laughs> he says, the road is black. I'm not on the road. I thought, oh, yeah, right. Um, all right, fine. New boundaries, okay? You're not allowed on the grass. You're not allowed in the gutter. You're not allowed on the road. I want you to stay on the footpath and stay well back from the road because that is what fear does. Fear creates a safe zone. Fear creates boundaries. If you hold God in holy awe and reverence and you understand the implications of your actions and your behaviour, you'll start to draw new safe zones in your life that aren't on the edge of what's wrong. In fact, they're so far back from what's wrong that if you even make a mistake, you're still going to be okay. Can I read a couple of scriptures to you today about the fear of God? Let's go to the first one. Deuteronomy 6.2, that you, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, that's obedience, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Huh, that's funny. There's something about following God and obeying God that brings life to you. Next one. 1 Samuel 12.14, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the King who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Things are going to get better. Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. Isn't that interesting that the friendship of the Lord is for those who hold Him in holy awe and reverence and He makes known to them His covenant. Next one. Proverbs 14, 27. It says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What happened to the church? What happened to the church? It multiplied. 
They're walking in the fear of God and yet they've got the peace of God on them at the same time. They're not afraid, but they certainly are holding Him in holy awe and reverence. But just as the fear of God brings life, if you ever lose that fear of God, it can just flip as you begin to go the other direction. I'll tell you the story about my life. When I grew up as a young child, I had a healthy fear of God. When I would be with my friends, we were, whatever they were doing, they would all be okay with something and I wasn't okay with it because I was brought up to fear God and to, and to trust Him and to obey Him and, and to love Him. Can I tell you that that didn't last my whole life? In fact, you know what began to happen? When I became a teenager, and I know this is gonna sound outrageous to you, right? Because teenagers would, would never do this. But I began to push the boundaries and I began to test the boundaries. You know what I'd do? I would begin to step over that line. Now I knew it was wrong. And then you know what I waited for? I waited for the hammer to drop. I waited for that thing to happen to me, retribution. And as I waited, nothing happened. So, took another step. Why? It's nothing to fear. Nothing's gonna happen to me if I do. I've been creeping over this line for a little while now and as best as I can tell, I'm gonna be okay. And what begins to happen as you shift that boundary further and further, you turn from life and you begin to head in the other direction. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called How the Mighty Fall. It's a pretty popular book. It's a really interesting book. It's actually about how companies go into decline. And there's five main stages. And the first one really surprised me. You know what the first stage of decline is for a company? Success. Because they said that success breeds arrogance. And when you're arrogant, you don't want to listen to other people. And now, as I was reading about the fear of the Lord, this is what a commentator said. He said, arrogance is being above instruction. Do you know how many gifted people I have seen that have wrecked what God wanted to do because they wouldn't listen to instruction? because they crossed the boundary, because they stepped over the line and nothing happened. So there's no consequence. So they keep edging it out. They keep pushing it further. No fear of God. Well, I crossed that line that people told me not to cross a long time ago and I'm fine, but I promise you this, your sin will find you out. And eventually the consequences do arrive at your doorstep. Sooner or later, it's gonna happen. So here is what you need to know this morning. When you move your boundaries, you stop fearing God. That's how you'll know. You're willing to cross a boundary that you previously held. And then you know that you've stopped fearing God. And when you move them, eventually, eventually, you'll encounter consequences. I did. God had to bring me all the way back. You see, the fear of God, it saves you from making bad decisions. It saves you from you. And so this is what is really important. This is what you need to do today. You ready? You ready? Never lose your fear of God. Don't don't be willing to cross boundaries that you know are wrong and then take a lack of retribution as God's approval for you crossing those lines. It doesn't work that way. Do you know what we would call that in church? Grace. He's giving you room. He's giving you opportunity. He's trying to win you back. He's whispering to your soul. Don't ignore the voice of God today when He speaks to you and He says, hey, that thing that you've been doing that you knew was wrong, 
You know what happens to you? Eventually your conscience gets seared and you stop feeling bad about it. But by the time you get there, you're so lost in the world that you've created. Your fear of God is absolutely gone and you begin to replace the life that you were going to have with a life full of regret. And I'll tell you something right now, that is not what God has got to for you. Don't lose your fear of God because if you do, I promise you right now that you will begin to make decisions that you will absolutely regret. Man, God's got something good for you. We don't just say that to encourage you. Man, God has something good for you. God has got a plan for you. Devil's got a plan for you too. But if you listen to the voice of God, if you begin to redraw the safe areas, the safe zones, the boundaries in your life, I wonder where in your life right now you've been, you know, just dipping your toe in. You've just been a little bit over the edge. Your toe's over the edge. You knew that you shouldn't have crossed it, but you're just trying to find out what might happen if you do. Hello to everybody that's in a relationship where you're not married yet. Come on. There are so many decisions that you can make that are gonna end up taking you in a place you don't wanna go. But if you keep your fear of God, if you hold on to it, if you hold Him in holy awe and reverence and say, I believe you, I believe what you said, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna put boundaries in my life today that I don't even fully appreciate yet or understand, but because you've said it, I'm gonna do it and I'm just gonna trust. I'm just gonna trust that as I do, you're gonna bring life to me. I'm gonna be safe and I'm gonna be okay. I always stand together this morning. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.